Hey, the audio cut out. Everybody, welcome to the A Dime Bat Podcast. I am Tyler, joined tonight by Kevin Meacham. What's going on? I don't know. I'm Peter Bard. What's up? Nothing. And Chris Licata. Hey there. Back for number two. And Megan Bard. Hello. And Russ Steinberg. Who are you? I don't know, man. This is a packed pod. <laughs> yeah, Full how house. are we going to do this? Back I assume pod. Peter will talk for most of it, and the rest of us will just laugh and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 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 Well, yeah. I, I thought you guys would have talked to Russ before I came on, but Russ, uh, we're going to have to let you go, man. This is, this is a hard way to find out, but turn in your headphones. That's all right. Who do I send the Russ phones to? Just mail, mail them right to Jared Cutler. He's gonna he's gonna do all of our content from now on. I think. Yeah, I go on Jared's show now. I don't need you guys. I'm I adore. I adore. That was Jared. pretty good. I was bummed. I had to leave partway through because I have uh, a baby. That's right. But I enjoyed the part of the that I got to watch and participate in it. And then I went back later and I watched the rest of it, even though I couldn't say things about you in the comments. I can't get enough of the Jared content. Uh, and the Adime Bad Podcast, as always, is brought to you by Homefield Apparel, manufacturers of great vintage-styled Yukon apparel. I am wearing some right now. What do I have on? So I, I have on the Kirby dog. What do you have on, Russ? I have the, the uh, Kirby logo. Oh, yeah. No, we're wearing the same shirt. Oh, we are? Okay. Yeah. Everyone, uh, go to adimeback.com slash homefield. You can use the code adimeback at checkout and get 20% off your first order. And thanks, as always, to the folks at Homefield. So a funny thing happened. We recorded like two hours of this podcast. And then uh, host of the Biggie Shoot Around, John Fanta, decided to call in at 1130 at night to join us for the rest of it. So what you're going to hear first now is our talk with John. Uh, who is, in addition to being a world-class equestrian, just uh, the most delightful person in the world. We're going to talk all things Yukon and Big East, and then you'll hear the regular Yukon uh, podcast afterwards. Hope you enjoy. John Fanta's here. How are you? Good, Good evening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, sir? That's the, most, that's the most excited anyone's ever been to see me. <laughs> How's everybody doing? We're great, John. We're fired up on hot sauce and various other uh, things, and we're ready to talk Big East basketball. Yep, I was just in the bathroom putting out the hot sauce. Yep. (laughs) John, thank you for joining us in the middle of the night. Quick question for you. Why is UConn the best team in the country? (laughs) Well, their fans raised over $10,000 today, so uh, that would be a a start. I mean, man, I don't think you'll find a more passionate fan base that's – I can tell you right now, I've been covering the the conference for the last four years out of college. You all know – or you may know where I did my undergrad. I'm sure you might get into that. It was Um, UConn, yep. We know. (laughs) Noted noted UConn grad. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, You know, this is, this is cool. I mean, there's really, nobody's ever asked me on a podcast at 11, 10 Eastern time at night. So Mm -hmm. that's, we didn't see see this coming either. (laughs) (laughs) What is this about? That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) We've just recorded a a technologically challenged, uh, horrible, really horrible, two-hour-long podcast that I have to somehow edit down to approximately an hour. 
and then it was decided afterwards to invite you on as our guest. So here you are. <laughs> wow. At 11.14 p.m. on a Wednesday. You. I would love to come on anytime. John, how did you get so into Big East basketball? Like, because I went to a Big East school and I love Big East basketball, but I feel like I was an amateur as a basketball fan now, now that I've met and seen what you bring to the table. <laughs> well, Peter, you're too kind. Look, I grew up on the west side of Cleveland. And when you grow up on the west side of Cleveland, you eat, breathe, sleep, die, everything Cleveland sports. So you just get passionate for anything in the sports landscape. And for me, you know, I, I, growing up a Browns, Indians, Cavs fan, that, that was where my heart was. So I, I knew I wanted to do this for a living. You know, uh, I've called it uh, my wife is my career thus far early on in this. So for me, when I when I went to Seton Hall, I was looking to go to the local New York area. And um, I, my freshman year at Seton Hall, I think that this is a big part of, in terms of this version of the Big East, the 11 team rendition of this conference. Timing is everything, right? My freshman year at Seton Hall was the first year of the reconfigured Big East. Ah. While everybody's typing these narratives and putting these narratives out that there'll be nothing like the old Big East and there's nothing like it and this, that. All I had really ever known from a media standpoint and as a student journalist was, this version of the Big East seems kind of interesting and this seems fun and wait a minute, Villanova's just won a national championship. Wait a minute, Seton Hall and Providence are relevant? You know, and I was at Seton Hall. It also helps to get some audience when you cover a Seton Hall program that, that has had some of their best years in their 110 year history. I mean, the history of Seton Hall basketball is not bright. Um, <laughs> the last six, seven years. That's Samuel Dallenbear slander. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The last six, seven years as a whole, the history, the last six, seven years have been bright. So it was a combination of, look, people say to me all the time, you know, you, you bring passion. Well, I've, I've always, this is what I love to do. And, and people say, thanks for your coverage or thanks for this. It's an easy league to cover when you have fans like, like yourself, or when you have followers like the people that follow this league. There are passionate people that follow this league. That makes it easy for us to do our jobs because we know that, that people are following this stuff and that it matters. And so I, there's not a day that I get up when I don't, when I don't want to get to it, even though we're at home right now. I love, I love this job. And I'm grateful for it. Look, I was a senior in college at Seton Hall in the spring of my uh, senior year, 2017. You guys all know what, what that's like. You're looking for a job. You're looking for your path. And I had a job offer in um, Midland, Texas, to do high school football. And I had a job offer out in the middle of nowhere, you know, somewhere in one of the Dakotas. And I had met with the Big East folks who brought me in as a student to do some reporter work. And at the end of our meeting, uh, one of – one of my bosses said, why don't we look into something? And that was the best thing he could have said. Because out of 40 more minutes of chatter, we came up with a weekly men's basketball show and doing play-by-play, and that's blossomed into Fox. And so I'm living the dream. People say, when are you, when are you moving up? Or what do you, for me, in this industry, especially now, value every day, value every opportunity, value everything you get. All that other stuff will take care of itself. You know, I love this job. I love the people who follow it. I believe that that it's a dream, and UConn's only made that better. 
Absolutely. We will take all of the credit for the happiness in your life. Yeah, and we welcome you moving on up to be a guest on our podcast. This is a real a real career changer, I think, for you. Uh, and we're happy to aid in that process. John, quick question for you. As a Cleveland... podcast tomorrow, so I don't know how you guys feel about that. I missed... I didn't hear what you said. So. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear that at all. I can't react. John, as a Cleveland uh, native who works in the Big East, what was your reaction when LeBron played at UConn? <laughs> Positive? Absolutely. Yeah. King James. Yeah. Oh, God. He, he, he was good in stores. He was good in stores, I got to say. Built the statue, yeah, of course. If good LeBron run. If were to college, it would have been UConn. We all know it. Yeah. yeah, it's canon. I agree. He would have been on. He would have been on the 0304 team. Oh, oh my god! god. Yeah, I think he would have been. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he would have been 304. That team still would have lost at home to Providence. <laughs> so, <laughs> that did not happen, Russ. I can't prove that. Oh, it most certainly did happen. Russell, yes. I go before LeBron James. They're good players, but I fucked up. They're not Fuck. bad. <laughs> they're not bad. <laughs> Got to make go before LeBron James. <laughs> John, give us your kind of tears of the Big East. So obviously, you know, Creighton and Nova kind of leading the pack. How do you see the rest Here of the league kind of breaking down under them? Uh-huh. Here, I knew this was coming. Um, you I could ignore this... it. No, 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 no. Ask a, que- ask a question, you get the right, you get the answer. I think that, I think that right now, um, I would, I would go ahead and make the take that I do not think I previously thought that Villanova was the firm number one, and I no longer believe that. Oh, um, you come. That's right. And, and unfortunately, they've gone through a COVID-19 pause, and that stinks for them, and multiple pauses. I mean, it's unfortunate. You know, it's, it's out of a lot of people's control, and it's just the brutality of this pandemic. I think that Creighton is showing us, and, and this is where we'll get to the next point. Don't worry. Creighton is showing us that they they can be the best team in this league. They, they're they're averaging in the mid 80s per game scoring wise, but they're allowing just over 68 points per game. They're 32nd in Kempom adjusted efficiency deficiency efficiency rating. It's like, and and this is a team that is they have not been known for for who they are defensively. They've been soft in the past. They've been a team that doesn't defend. So for me, the fact that they've taken those steps, like I think Damian Jefferson's a dog. He will Creighton in the game against UConn. He's come up huge with plays. So for me, I think that you would have to put Villanova and Creighton in the first tier of teams. In tier two, I will go with UConn and Seton Hall. The Pirates had a real clunker in Omaha. I think that Seton Hall still deserves credit for who they are. Mamu Kalashvili's nasty. He does things that a six foot ten forward does not typically do. And, and I just think with the way that Willard manages his team, the fact that they're six and two right now is, is pretty remarkable considering the fact that they basically have one point guard, uh, Shavar Reynolds, like Bryce Aiken has given this team, you know, not very much. And um, they have a former walk-on who's holding it down at the one and they have some wing players. Wow. Texas Tech just took a three point lead on Texas at Texas. Wow. With two left. I've got the game on in the background. Um, <laughs> Love Fran. So, so here's the thing. I think that UConn Seton Hall will be tier tier two. After that, tier three is a cluster of teams. Providence, Marquette, Xavier's in tier three. Xavier hasn't shown me enough that they're in tier two yet. I need to see them beat a high level team. Haven't been able to see that yet. And then tier four is a wash of Georgetown, Butler, um, St. John's, and DePaul. 
John, have you, I will uh, say, have you talked to Dan Hurley at all yet? Yeah, we've talked a couple times. What do you think of him? Is he nuts? I think he's awesome. <laughs> and? So, yes. He's, he's tough in a good way. I think this fan base is nuts, and so is he, and that's awesome. This is the perfect marriage. Dan Hurley's at the perfect spot. This works. And yeah. in a time and place in college basketball, where a lot of college basketball, like, as time goes on in our content-driven world, it's more diluted with just all kinds of stuff, right? College basketball kind of gets it thrown to a backseat by no other reason than, you know, it's just how it is, I guess. But by the same token, that's not how it is in stores. And when you move back to the Big East, you reemphasize the fact that this is your priority. And guess what? You have a head coach who would not work for me at a football school. Dan Hurley needs to be the face. He needs to be the king, like Jim Calhoun was king. That's the kind of guy you need leading your program. And Dan Hurley wears it on his sleeve. He loves this program. He loves this conference. And you know what? He might be, as as Tyrese Martin tells me in an interview that drops tomorrow afternoon, he might be, quote, the head maniac. But guess what? That's how this fan base would want their head coach to be, to drive them to win. Tyrese Martin told me this in an interview. It drops on Thursday, 3 Eastern time. It's on social media. It'll be on there. Tyrese Martin gave me an amazing quote. He said, we know that if we do not practice hard every day, it's going to be ugly for us. Now, that is very telling about in 2020, less and less players are taking that type of drive from their head coach and implementing it to how they perform as a team. This is working in stores, and it's just the beginning in stores. And being back in the Big East is only going to help it in stores for UConn. People are forgetting, yeah, there's been dark years in the past. But after Villanova, if you ask me who after the Cats, because they've earned it, they've won two of the last four, who after them would be the team that I would say gets to the national championship next, there's no question who that is. It's UConn. That's right, are aligning That's right. The head yep. Yep. Head I'm pumped. So it's now you would like... have to say, sorry, Megan, you would have to say with Villanova on COVID pause right now, that would make you kind of favorite to win the national championship. That's what I heard too. <laughs> that's, that's, that is what I heard you say. I think that should be the title of this podcast. John Fabian says, UConn's going to <laughs> and, and that's effectively how I get an email files in my inbox. Yeah. <laughs> we're, just, uh, we're just fostering the discussion. That's all we're doing. No, you know, let, let's, like, for a, for, a, for a damn, for one moment, I hate to, to not be as funny. But, like, I feel, and, and it's, it's hard because, right, like, the joke is it's DePaul, so, of course, um, but by the same token, those kids have been in a road venue three different times this year on the day of the game and have gotten told they cannot play that day. Like, oh, you know, that sucks. And that just keeps happening time and again for what they love. So I'm all, I'm, I want to play. I'm not in this, I'm not in this crowd of we shouldn't be playing or that's, I, I, I hate that idea, but you know, it's, it's, it's just the delicacy of it. I don't know how Villanova's going to be off, off a month. Like, I don't know how any team is after a month. Right. I think Villanova will be okay. But this, you can't tell me this doesn't do anything to them. It has to. So that really throws a real question mark into how things go going forward in conference play. 
So you said a, a few minutes ago that going into the year, you thought Villanova was the clear number one, and now you're not quite as sure. Is that anything to do with Villanova, or is it that Creighton has shown you maybe that they can match that? Creighton is showing me something. This is Greg McDermott's best team at Creighton. This is his best team. And think about him. He had Doug McDermott on his team. Um, he had his son on his team, and they were very, very good in 2013-14. But this team has dogs and they have a great versatility to them. Marcus Negorowski misses their game against St. John's on Saturday. They still have six guys scoring double figures, albeit against the Big East worst defensive team thus far this season, St. John's. But that still showed me something about Creighton. They don't need any one part to be great. A couple years ago, they faced Kansas State. And, and I think of this moment. Think about this. This is a story for you guys. Creighton is facing Kansas State. Dean Wade doesn't play for Kansas State. Marcus Foster does not score for Creighton, and they lose. They get destroyed by Kansas State. Creighton's upset. They lost. But when you – like the NCAA tournament, when you lose the first round game, like you're crying, you're upset as a team. You know, the coach is hugging his seniors. You go back to the hotel bar, and it's like that weird hour where you're kind of like, hey, let's grab a cheeseburger. It might be, you know, for the seniors. like last meal, you know, with the team. Like, a, you know, like let's wrap it up. Let's go fly home. Greg McDermott's at the bar. He's looking up at the screen and he's watching UMBC beat down Virginia. And he's thinking, had I beaten Kansas State tonight, I would have faced UMBC to make the Sweet 16 and get whatever bonus. And oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sitting, I'm like four feet from him. I've never seen a tougher face than that one. Um, oh my God. For Greg McDermott, he's been through some of the some of the tough times and the biggest thing in Omaha they've been waiting for is can you make an NCAA tournament berth? This team has all the pieces. I really think this today. Anything less than a second weekend for Creighton would be a massive disappointment. This team is too good for me, and I think they're defending really, really well. I think Damian Jefferson is going to get a chance in the NBA. That's how highly I think of the way he's playing. John, what do you make of Marquette? I mean, they've got two top ten wins and then, you know, they're really kind of a Jekyll and Hyde type type program at this point. I got to tell you, I I don't think uh, my mentions right now during Marquette games are not a, a the friendliest of places. I mean, oh my god! <laughs> um, you know, look, this is a team, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I just saw the message in the chat. I'm not going to say yeah. anything. <laughs> so here's, here's that's very well done though. Here's the thing on Marquette, okay? This this sometimes, like, if you were upset about the last couple of years as a Marquette fan, first off, you're coming off a year where, you know, you would have made the NCAA tournament. It, it didn't happen. The year before, you got your doors blown off by John Morant in Hartford. And um, that's why Marquette fans are so up. Like, they're just they're, – they're riled up because Marquette puts a lot of resources into their program. They're waiting to turn that corner and being back to what they were, even with Buzz Williams. But here's the thing. That wasn't going to happen with this year's team. This year's team was picked to finish sixth in this conference. And guess what? They're, they're kind of on track to be right around there this season. So I look at this Marquette team, and here's what I see. I see two freshmen in Dawson Garcia and Justin Lewis who are very talented. I see a sophomore in DJ Carter. Those are Marquette's three. In my opinion, those are Marquette's three best players. McEwen scores the ball well. He scores the ball well. He's a good player. But he's not like an – for me, he's not an all-league first-team player. He's like an honorable mention type player. 
their three most important players have been two freshmen and a sophomore. They're a young team, and their results are showing of a young team. They went and they beat Creighton in Wisconsin, but they lost at home to an Oklahoma State team that just beat Kansas. They lost at home to Seton Hall. Big deal. You know, have they had a couple of deflating performances? Yeah. Should they have beaten UConn? They should have won that game. No. No. But, guys, how much did that show a young team? They were up by 18. They couldn't hang on. And yeah, I think there's, there's always fair criticism. When a team loses an 18-point lead, of course you can point to the head coach of the program and say, what could he have done better? I thought UConn played harder. I thought UConn seniors showed up. I thought veteran kids made veteran plays. It's one, like some Marquette fans have been like to me, John, they're not that inexperienced. There's a difference between being a junior and senior and being a junior or senior who has had the same role every year. You lost the nation's leading score. You were not going to be a top 30 team in college basketball this year. They're an okay team. They've been okay thus far. They've been kind of what I expected. But I do think there's a bit of a this, this, this pressure that kind of surrounds the program and makes it feel like they're a major disappointment. And I really don't see that. I think they are what they are. And that's tough for their fan base to take. But that's how this year's going to be for this program. I, I don't disagree, but I think, you know, you look at a team like Seton Hall that took similar losses to what Marquette lost, and he's managed to plug in a guy like Reynolds. I didn't think Seton Hall was going to be very good this year because I said they don't have a point guard. You know, to the extent that Bryce Aiken can he play point guard, he's probably not going to play it very often because he's never been right. elf. But then Reynolds came out of nowhere, and he's been a revelation for them. He's been great on defense. He's been great. Uh, taking care of the ball and creating offense for other people. He doesn't score a bunch, but he shoots well. So he's not he's not hurting you anywhere. I mean, it's just a very solid starter. And then that's enabled them to be a much better team than I thought they were going to be. And I think if I'm a Marquette fan, you you just you feel like you're you're every year you're just you're just on the edge of being really good and it just isn't quite happening. And that gets frustrating. Yeah, understood. Uh, I, I think that that's totally fair, and I think that that's why there is, you know, there's there's pressure there to win. I mean, and, and they're a winning program, so it is that, yeah, they are. that weird mix of emotion. It's that weird mix of results. Nobody in this conference, and I am, I could state this. I, I don't think I could state this enough. I don't state it often, um, but I will say it right now. Nobody does more with less than Kevin Willard does at Seton Hall. If you knew, you know, if you if you know anything about Seton Hall University, watch Saturday afternoon's game when they face Xavier inside Walsh Gymnasium. Inside Walsh Gymnasium. Now, look, I, I went to Seton Hall. I'm an alum of the school. I, I you know, I, I, I'm proud to be an alum of the school and have a degree. I don't know how I got a degree, but I got it. The point is, I know exactly how you feel. This is a guy who, who is in his 11th season. He's about to go to what would be a sixth consecutive NCAA tournament appearance for a program that's never come close to that in their 120 in their 110 years of existence. So Willard Willard is he is really really good at knowing how to get his kids better, knowing how is to get his kids to buy. I'm, I'm continually impressed with what this guy does year in and year out. And, and I just think, I don't think Seton Hall fans realize how good they have yeah. it. They're not supposed to be a program that's making the big dance for every year. They're, they're in position to do it again. 
You know, there there aren't a whole lot of high major schools that would have stuck with Kevin Willard for as long as Seton Hall did. I know there were a lot of fans at the time who didn't understand why the program didn't move on. What made Seton Hall stick with him? Because it's obviously paid off. So the story goes is that Pat Lyons, the athletic director, uh, back in 2015, was in his office. The Seton Hall board met with him. And Pat Lyons looked at all them. Now, Pat Lyons came from Iona, where Kevin Willard also came from. Iona's the farm system for Seton Hall University. Their president's formerly of Iona. So Pat Lyons, you know, is talking to the board, and he says, look, if you're going to get rid of this guy, you guys can be the ones to do it. I'm not going to be the one to do it, and I'm going to tell you why. Right now, I still got Isaiah Whitehead. Right now, I still got Kadeen Carrington. I still got Desi Rodriguez. I still got Angel Delgado. And, and the majority of that class, with the exception of Whitehead, stays for, for four years. He, 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 he stuck by his guns because he said, he said, if you're not going to win with this talent, and if they stay around for three or four years, when are you ever going to win at Seton Hall University? You're going to totally clobber this, watch all these kids transfer, and then be bad forever? He stuck by his guns. It was the best case scenario if there were ever a case where you're up against the wall, but you really don't have a choice but to keep him around for another year. He did. Lions took a bet on, on Willard. It was the biggest thing he could have done because it shows that maybe giving that coach an extra year, maybe giving them a little bit of faith is the key to getting that program to take off. And I got to tell you guys, uh, I don't, I don't, talk about this much uh, because I try to do my job and if, and you guys I wouldn't be on your podcast right now if this wasn't the case I, I yes I went there to school I was a student at the time and and I was very closely embedded I I, I kind of got my start in relationships by doing a lot of work with the athletic communications department at Seton Hall University so I was kind of in the trenches with the program in 2014-15 season they collapsed they had players transfer Jaron Cena out sterling gibbs drama thank you they're 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 going (laughs) we're familiar they're going through all kinds of random crap they are at a rock bottom you will never see a transformation they went from rock bottom in the big east in 2015 to going all the way at the garden in 2016 and when they won the big east championship it's still out of the years since reconfiguration still the most emotional i've seen a team upon winning it we're talking tears on every person's face as part of that program because they knew a year ago they were literally the, the laughing stock of the league, and they went from worst to first in this conference. That's hard, hard to do. It's a really remarkable story what's played out in South Orange, and they're a player once again. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Willard. Yeah. Um, though I, I will say I, I've heard his name come up now a few times. Uh, there was the podcast a couple of weeks ago when they were talking about who might replace Jim Beheim if he were to, to retire. You no. don't think so? No. Kevin Willard and Jim Beheim don't get along. Oh. Oh, oh really? who gets along with Jim Beheim? If that's true, that's true. Yeah. Kevin Willard, frankly. No, Kevin Willard's in the perfect spot at Seton Hall. He's a Jersey guy. He's got a Jersey family. He likes the people that work there. They like him. He's the highest paid employee at the school. And, and here's the thing, guys. He's kind of a low-profile guy until he – wants to talk and when he talks it doesn't like he could have no filter like he could say whatever right. he wants and he's not going to get we uconn fans have learned that come and on UConn, the pod we love him he, he's yeah. just kidding he's he's just being like kevin is has the driest sense of humor i know 
Um, he's 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 funny as hell. It, he was yeah, he's great. He was totally joking. And and I it seemed obvious to me that it was a joke. Yeah. It's like I don't like I thought other people were confused, but I was like, no, he's I was not offended. You know what no. you know what the press did. <laughs> Bob Horde. The lovely Horde. <laughs> Hey, hey, John, while we have you on here, uh, we just broke the news a while ago that Corey Floyd Jr. committed to UConn uh, over Villanova. Uh, this podcast won't come out until after that decision I, is announced. What I are your thoughts on that? What's that? What are your thoughts on Corey Floyd Jr. picking uh, UConn over Villanova? Is this official? It will be by the time the pod's out. <laughs> <laughs> This is great for UConn. Um, there's no surprise that they're that they're going to be able to get recruits that other schools in the Big East cannot get. Um, they have a they have an invaluable amount of resources, and I'm not surprised at this. I think the Villanova Villanova's on track to have maybe their best recruiting class in the Jay Wright era next year. Let's not take it away from them. But yeah, is UConn going to be able to beat them for recruits? Yeah, of course. Of course, it's just two. Yeah. <laughs> it's a state. So they got Patterson, and it's, I wanted him. You're, you got different. You got different resources. We than, sure do. Than these small Catholic schools, it's just how it is. Yeah. With the exception of Butler, Butler's not Catholic. They're just kind of religious. <laughs> so, so have, you been to, have you been to Gamble? Well, have you but, actually- hold on. Butler's like the couple that when the priest meets with the couple, they're like, "Are you? Do you go to church?" And and the couple goes, "Well, we're spiritual." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's fine. You're welcome. Um, you, you brought it up, Megan. You asked if I've been to Gamble. Yeah. Have you been to Gamble before? Or is this going to be like, have you had the chance to visit our, our hallowed temple of basketball? So I went to Gamble in 2015 for women's basketball NCAA tournament. Seton Hall faced Rutgers, Vivian Stringer won. Then I watched the UConn women just absolutely destroy the school for the blind That's right. and move on to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Now, that being said, I've never been to Gamble on a game day with a full crowd with everybody there with, you know, like all that stuff. So, and I've, there's been rumors of me having to ride a horse in when I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not a rumor. Oh, that's confirmed. That's right. Yep. Yep. I got can. one for you. UConn was an ag school. We have horses. We have them on our campus. You've seen how quickly this fan base can raise money. We will we get, get you a horse. We'll get you a horse. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, let's, let's make sure the horse is conditioned. <laughs> you know, let's make sure the horse has it's all steroided up and ready to go. Shampooed and conditioned. So, speaking of women's basketball, how are how are you enjoying your first uh, UConn women's Big East year? <laughs> well, they have just taken a drill and begun construction on a house uh, that we always knew was going to be built. Um, Paige Beckers is insane. Correct. Uh-huh. Um, I've been impressed with the development of actually some of their supporting cast more so um, than I thought. I think they're a team that that physically, like I, I I like the production of Edwards inside. I think she gives them a bit of an edge, like she gives them a different dimension. And and Nelson Adoba expected, Williams expected, but Beckers makes plays that I, you don't see, you do not see players make. They're a well-oiled machine as they've always been. But what I like about this UConn team is, like, every game this year, or almost every game this year, we've seen 
different pieces like you would see from a team that could win a national championship kind of contribute each night. I feel like every time I, my eyes are glaring up at that SMY postgame show, they're breaking down a different player who's been the top or the secondary scorer. Here's what, what it comes down to in women's basketball to win a national championship. Do you have a great core? UConn has that. Do you have a player who is exceptional at her level and making the great core exceptional as well? And that's the kind of player Paige is. And when Gino said in the preseason, like he, he just looked at him in the Zoom camera, he goes, she's really freaking good. It's all, it's all we need to hear because that's, that's, that just says it all. They're, they're not going to lose a game in the Big East. Uh, they're going to keep on rolling. Um, I don't know when I have them. If I have them, they're obviously the SMY package is still going, waiting. Uh, I've got St. John's Marquette women on Sunday uh, on FS1. I, as if, if you don't know, if folks don't know, I do a lot of the FS1 women's package with my friend Kim Adams. Uh, but when we do get the Huskies, um, and, and we look forward to that day that we do, we look forward to sharing stories and taking a further deep dive into them. They're, they're, they've been a machine thus far. Not surprising at all, uh, but I really like the way that they've played. And this is a complete team that Gino says is the worst defensive team he's ever seen. I don't. This is about every team. This is about all of them. Yeah. Also the worst shooting team he's ever seen. Yeah, right. Right. Kara Walters was making this joke on her show that, like, she was the worst player in America for four years, and she was the national player of the year her senior year. So, you know, (laughs) it's just typical Gino hyperbole. It's great stuff. I mean, I I love it, and I I love – I just, I just think this guy, like, there are people in sports, and at some point you say to yourself, is, it, is there a day that they wake up and, like, doesn't it get – aren't you, like, I'm um, tired of doing this? But, like, he remembers the losses more than he remembers the wins. That's how he's driven. Well, and there's far also- fewer of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he could remember all five of his losses in the last 15 years. Exactly. <laughs> So I, I've, I've been really impressed all around. I, I think Ali Edwards um, gives them gives them something. I, I don't know if I necessarily expected going into the season. This, this is a well, well-oiled machine, and I, I, by all expectations, they're going to be taking the uh, the Big East crown back. By the way, I think it's pretty cool. It's going to be January the thirtieth, I believe. Um, you're going to have no 29th, I think. You're going to have um, UConn and DePaul playing on Fox. Yeah. Brock yeah. Game. I can't wait for that. That's uh, very cool. It's Fox Sports. The 31st. Excuse me. Thank you. Yep. 31st. Um, that'll be a, an afternoon game. That'll be great. And uh, excited to see the Huskies and Blue Demons on Fox. I think that that says something about the conference and the partnership they've got with Fox. It's, it's pretty cool to see women's hoops cool. on Brock John, so, like uh, a week after that, uh, South Carolina comes to Gamble and it's on FS1. Do you know if you're doing that game? I don't know yet. Right now, it's been. A, I can tell you guys right now in the TV world, we're finding things out about ten days before. Do you um, need us to lead a band of vigilantes somewhere to make our point? Uh, <laughs> we can definitely make this happen. I will drink hot oh, yeah. sauce and I can Sir, a light insurrection we can lead? I will ride Give a horse. us Vanda. <laughs> you know, I appreciate that. I really do. I mean, I, I can't. I love calling games. As you guys might, you're, you're able to, you're all smart basketball fans. I've learned that quickly about how uh, <laughs> you, you realize, look. I'm 25 in this. I'm just starting out. I did get a, a fair amount of games early on in the season. We get to this point of the year, 
Gus Johnson is Gus Johnson. He'll be doing more games. Tim Brando, yep. Ryan Custer. Um, but Eric Collins is from Charlotte this year. They got Joe Davis from L.A. I will keep – push it every day and hustling every day and hopefully more and more games come along the way, but that's part of the process in TV. You know, I'll be covering whatever comes at me. Soon to come, soon to come, my friend. Right, one step at a time. John, how great is having Round Ball Rock, the official oh, anthem so of this one? <laughs> I shower to it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you sing the lyrics? No, I don't do the SNL skit, but the dial soap kind of goes into a tempo. <laughs> <laughs> like that. I, I sing the lyrics every time. That's yeah. yeah. Well, John, we we also want to thank you because you took uh, an action today to support a, a UConn charity by by drinking a nice hefty dose of hot sauce yourself to raise some money for the UConn ticket project. So thank you for doing that as well while we have you on. Oh, it's a pleasure to do it. I'm always about, look, John loves great, the kids. That's a great cause. It's for the kids. Yeah. It's a tri- it's the most insane thing I've ever done, I think, for a charity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was so happy to do it. I, I, I believe, like, if the last nine months has shown us anything, why wouldn't we do something that's for a good cause? And, and also, you know, people so, – I, I will say this to you guys. Not, not the hot sauce challenge. I've been told before, like, isn't that a little silly of you to do or – you know, wasn't that a little bit silly or did you have to do that? Or like last year I ate a cupcake on the air while I was on FS1. Somebody said like, why'd you, why'd you, does it always have to be about a cupcake or that? Listen, I am who I am. You take it, you leave it. This is what it is. That's who you have to be, especially in this business. And that's, that's how it is. So I was asked to drink hot sauce for kids to go to a Yukon game. I drink 10 more dough. Well, don't hold me to it. 10 more, <laughs> says John. Theoretically, to help kids out and to help underserved out, we got to be willing to do that now more than ever. John Megan said that she would drink some hot sauce if we were able to get twenty five thousand. So I don't know if you can pass that link around Fox Sports, uh, <laughs> maybe get some of the on air talent to kick, kick, kick some cash over there. But it could be worth a could be worth an ask. I don't know. I'm just saying. John Donnie Marshall must drink hot sauce. I don't know what Donnie Marshall's waiting for. I don't know who he thinks he's hiding from. I don't know what he thinks is happening, but he's drinking the hot sauce. I'll do some pushing. I'll do some politicking behind the scenes. Maybe we can get Steve Lavin to do the hot sauce. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Put some in his hair. <laughs> Lab is, I mean, a quick aside. Coach Lab is one of my very, very good friends. And I, I'm, I mean, this. he is, he is one of the really good guys. He's, he's, I think he's good on TV. He's fun. He makes it funny. He, he's not, doesn't have this big ego. You know, some of these guys on, on these national broadcasts, like, like I'm not referring to anybody at all, but some, Type people, in the chat. some people can have, yeah. you know, you know that, but Lab is so good. He's, he's so much fun. And I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of him. All right, all right John, we have one more question, which uh, came in from uh, our friend, uh, Big Ron, who is not on the pod, who uh, okay. asked you to rank Seton Hall alums. Here's, uh, here's the four choices. <laughs> Dick Vitale, <laughs> Craig Biggio, you, or Tony Soprano one semester. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you're ready. 
guys, we all know what number one is. You. You. It's Bob Lee. <laughs> the, Bob guy, Lee. the guy totally ousted Mike Rice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. All right, fair. Lost in everything, the Seton Hall legend said, get out. You could <laughs> oust someone, though. Yeah, no, he didn't. You could oust Donnie. Bob Lee, Bob Lee's always going to be one. Um, Biggio and Mo Vaughn are like a package deal. People forget that Mo Vaughn went to Seton Hall. I, yeah, that forgot I that. forgot. Uh, yeah. Probably we went to the Angels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm. That's too humble. I'm. I'm very humble that you even say that uh, about me. I. That's. You're, you're really serious. So that's too too nice. Uh, but it's exactly I, nice enough. Or Tony um, Soprano, one semester. Thank you. Tony I, Soprano. Yeah, Tony, Tony's, Tony has an honorary degree. He's he's always going to be a pirate. It's an amazing Soprano scene. It's very on brand of Seton Hall. Um, and I cannot <laughs> wait for the Pirates and Huskies to meet because Dan Hurley's a Seton Hall alum. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be Everyone a makes mistakes. John, do you yeah. remember what happened at Dan, Sir, uh, Dan Hurley Senior Night? <laughs> I mean, I don't think he remembers it. I don't remember it. I don't think oh, I, I wasn't alive, but I'm pretty sure that UConn won. Yeah, it didn't go well, and uh, Ray yeah, Allen Ray happened. Allen. Yeah, Ray happened Allen. to cause some trouble. Seton Hall senior nights have not gone that well. Fair enough. Well, John, we'll let you go because it's getting late, but thank you so much for coming. Obviously, I don't think anyone in the entire world loves Big East basketball the way you do. Um, and thank you again for, for supporting the UConn charity today. That was a, a great, great deed. And uh, I hope you feel okay tomorrow when, you know, the yeah. repercussions set in. Listen, guys, I'm going to find out about 3.23 in the morning. That's when I typically wake up in the middle of the night for the, <laughs> for the uh, pit stop. Um, and check the overnight emails. Uh, it's easy to cover this league with folks like yourselves. Thank you for making it as such. It really is a it's a dream come true. I'm the luckiest 25 year old on planet Earth, and I don't say it as a cliche. I love my job. I love folks like yourselves. This is the only conference in America in basketball that's going to ask someone to be on a podcast at midnight. Right. But that, that's the kind of league this is. It's a joy. It's a blast to cover. And I hope we do it again sometime soon. Yeah, I don't know if uh, they told you, but you kind of, uh, by appearing here, uh, committed to several uh, weekly recurring appearances. So we'll see you a lot. pick up your yeah. option. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's going to become like a thing where the team, the fan bases try to one-up each other. So like in a month, you're going to be getting invited on a seat on a, on a Creighton podcast at 4 a.m. <laughs> right. This is the next challenge. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me tell you something. I mean, like – there is there is a competition in this league on that side of things. Like I do, the fan bases will be like, well, "We're better," or "No, we're better," and it's just. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to MLK Day when UConn and Seton Hall or UConn and St. John's fans start to go a little bit back and forth. Yeah, mm -hmm. we hate we're, each other. We're, yeah, when you see any of them, let us know. Yeah. St. John's fans <laughs> some problems. Like there have been some problems caused. I gotta tell you, if you ever want an experience and you want to learn a brand new language. There's English, there's Bronx, and then there's St. John's fans at Carnesecca Arena. <laughs> no, not at the Garden, because the Garden, like the Garden, has some locals, like some Nick fans who kind of make it like civil. Carnesecca is all the neighborhood haunts who have a lot of money on the game, and like two years ago, Gary Pond is coming up the floor, and some guy just stands up in complete silence. 
Shamari, shoot the ball! And he's like, he's like it's 60 feet away from the basket. So I'm looking forward to seeing UConn St. John's fans go at it, UConn St. Paul fans, UConn whoever. This is going to be fun. And uh, I'm going to take the escalator on out of here. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> well done. This, this guy. This guy, man. And, and now we wow. know the next time we want to have you on, we should get you at 323 in the morning. That's right. Give me at 323 in the morning. It's when I'm out of the pot. And <laughs> All right, John. We'll be well. Thanks so much for doing this with us. And uh, we'll talk to you soon when we're getting you size for your saddle uh, on Horse Barn Hill. <laughs> <laughs> like a doctor's set of pants, expanded. There you go, man, man. (laughs) All right, John, be well. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. So, do you guys want to start with the fucking hot sauce? I mean, it's all... Start with the fucking hot sauce. That's all anyone's talking about. We had a a really fun day that got ruined, so I guess let's do the same thing with the pod. Start with the fun. (laughs) Megan, what the fuck's up with the hot sauce? Yo, Twitter has gone crazy. Everyone's drinking the hot sauce. So our boy Penfield uh, said some shit during the Marquette game and was like, yo, if UConn comes back, I'm going to drink some hot sauce. And then they did, and then he did, and then everyone else did because, I don't know, they're all on drugs. I'm really not sure. I'm unclear. But this has continued. Everyone is drinking hot sauce. You know, they make the top 25. We'll drink hot sauce. It's gotten crazy. And then our friends at the Husky Ticket Project decided to uh, up the stakes, really, and uh, challenge people to donate per shot. And then Penfield agreed to drink just offensively hot hot sauce at certain levels of donation. So I Last I heard, we're coming up on like 13K, which... They passed in- 13K, like okay. an hour ago. Okay. So, okay. I guess All right. they're at 10K we, like an hour ago. We should this probably is- acknowledge we're recording okay. this on Wednesday night, so... Yeah, so who knows? <laughs> yeah. Who knows They've raised $50,000 at this point. 19 days from now when I get around to posting this podcast. Yeah, we'll see. The thing about hot sauce, is it's bad, and I don't like it, but... I'm feeling like pressured to drink hot sauce for yeah. some reason. Mm-hmm. Is with and... you. All right, look, look, look. Due to peer pressure, if UConn Twitter raises $25,000 for the Husky Ticket Project, I will drink hot sauce. They're at 13 and it's been a day and a half. So that's going to be lunchtime tomorrow. I <laughs> oh, mean, I hope not. Neil Scafai donated. Like I really, yeah, you know, and like, some of them are rich. Yeah, Dan Hurley makes three million dollars. He said he's donating. In response to you saying that they're doing this because they're on drugs, I think they're doing this because they should be on drugs, and they are. That's aren't. probably true. Though if I will these say, people like, people were doing drugs like they should be. None of this would be <laughs> happening. I, do, uh, I mean, there is like a, a beautiful thing to this, like. You know, we can't be at the games. We can't be like actually a part of the season, like physically there. And this is like a lovely way to to sort of like bring everybody together and like Hurley's on board. He's going to do it. And we're raffling off uh, amazing tickets. Uh, Dan Toscano, who's the chair of the board of trustees, uh, has absurd tickets. He's got uh, behind the bench six seats and some lucky donor is going to get to sit in those. You know, I, I think if this were a normal fan base, the story would just be, um, you know, fan drinks hot sauce after comeback, sets off, you know, huge fundraising effort. Everyone drinks hot sauce. It goes viral. It's amazing. 
the fact that it's UConn, um, the way this has unfolded um, is a manifestation of exactly how broken the fan base has become. You mean and now that they are good again, um, not knowing how to direct that energy. That, that UConn fans are known for repeating the same joke over and over again and doing That's it online? That's not true. That's it, it does feel an unusually good match for the masochistic nature of the fan base. Yeah. <laughs> like Lakata, who drank hot sauce like an hour ago. Yeah. And I got to feel great. Feeling great. Don't, don't love... feel like my stomach's going to explode at all. It's terrific. To love UConn basketball is to feel pain. That's just it's what that it is. True. Was that a segue, Megan? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, but I think the kind of nice thing about this is in just to shout the Husky Ticket Project because I really do think it's an awesome thing that they, they buy tickets for kids whose families can't afford to buy tickets to sporting events and give them a really cool experience and, you know, a little uh, slice of college life, which I think is great. But just, like, it's a fun thing, and I think about how – like we all have these conversations about games we've been to, especially the ones when we were kids and how formative those experiences were and how that like laid the foundation for all of us to be fans as adults and like all of the fun and pleasure and joy we've gotten out of being fans and the, you know, torture and pain also. But uh, we would like to pass that along to the next generation. And hopefully now that the teams are good, they'll enjoy going to the basketball games. Yeah, let's give out their info too so you can find them on Venmo uh, Husky Ticket Project um, or I think they have a PayPal uh, in their Twitter bio their Twitter is at Husky Ticket Proj P-R-O-J so find them give some money enter to win the raffle thing get some tickets out of the board of trustees dude go nuts I think that raffle raffle, it'll be over yeah yeah. Uh, the website by the way is huskyticketproject.com they have all their info there too no Russ no Okay. Only Twitter. Oh, Twitter's sorry. the only it's website. Dimeback.com <laughs> slash Husky Ticket Project. I will say promo code at Dimeback for twenty uh, percent off of your donation. Th- this is the <laughs> second greatest act of charity uh, for the Husky Ticket Project after our live podcast appearance that generated upwards of uh, no money. That was that was also great. <laughs> and no listeners. So who's didn't, who's didn't... to tell who's better, us or the people who gave uh, thirteen thousand dollars so far? Well, according to to uh, Kevin from the Husky Ticket Project, that was their biggest fundraiser up until this point. Had everything to do with us and nothing to do with the good game and the good food at the good venue. (laughs) Speaking of basketball games like the one we saw that day where players suffer unspeakable injuries. (laughs) That's the segue. (laughs) Wow. There's our segue. Terrible segue. All right, fill us in, Russ. Well, James Booknight is now out indefinitely. He injured his elbow during the Marquette game, sat the last two games when we were led to believe that he might be coming back at any moment, and apparently he underwent surgery yesterday, and we don't really have a clear timetable on his return. Now, I guess Jeff Goodman said that Hurley said on his podcast that two to four weeks was a possibility, which if that's the case, I think UConn is pretty lucky. Uh, the schedule, with the exception of the game at Creighton uh, coming up, is somewhat forgiving. They're winnable games without book night. Um, and if UConn suffers any kind of weird losses in that time, the committee would take that into account. Uh, so hopefully that is what the timetable ends up being. Very weird. And we still don't actually know what the surgery was for. Like a hyperextended elbow is yeah. not necessarily something you expect 
to require a surgical remedy. So we genuinely don't even know what that, like we don't even know what his injury is that required surgery. So it's not great. Granted, I think we're all Yankees fans. And so we might be a little, we've been down the road. Yeah. 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 Well, my thing is like, what kind of injury would require surgery that would only have a two to four week recovery? Like that's some like teensy little like arthro thing going on in there. So So are they like, um, Calhoun Babby tweeted today that that Talik Brown had the same issue when he was in college. And I don't remember this, but apparently Talik was back in 15 days. Huh? What the fuck is it though? All I know is whatever remaining Steinbrenner is doing like $29,000 worth of cocaine right now saying getting James Booknight back is going to be the best trade deadline addition you could possibly make. James Michael Pineda Booknight. (laughs) How dare you? So how does, uh, obviously we've seen them without Book for for two games, maybe two and a half if you don't want to count his decoy performance against uh, Marquette, but how do you think UConn survives in his absence, Meech? It lowers their ceiling for sure. But they're, they're going to need to get guys like Cole and guys like Polly to keep staying hot and any other guard literally to, to play better. And they're going to need Whaley to keep playing at a high level. I mean, it, like... It's it's certainly not a death sentence to play another three weeks without book night. They'll lose some games they shouldn't probably. You know, it'll it'll hurt their numbers for a little bit. But there's talent on this team. We've seen them win ga- the last two games with defense and toughness. That's something that's going to carry over regardless of who is on the court because that's just the way this team plays. So, you know, we'll we'll grin and bear it and hopefully book is back by this time in a month. And then we're all systems go for the, the stretch run in February. Like, is it sustainable the way they won the last two games where Polly stepped up one game and then Martin kind of stepped up? Like, or are people going to have to sort of find that consistency? Like, can they can they manage to cobble together, you know, what a reasonable performance is over the next four weeks without having those guys be more consistent? I think I you think can this- get away with those guys not being super consistent as if more of them start playing well. We need Gaffney and Adams to start having some of those, you know, games where they're real threats, where they're scoring points. Because I don't think you can rely on Martin and Polly to do it with any consistency. And Cole still hasn't really done it. I mean, since the first game, he hasn't had a game where I was like, he had a really good offensive game today. He hasn't had a good shooting game, really. What we kind of talked about last time, right, is like their defense is like championship level defense. I think they can win any individual game, but like, yeah, even even at the end of the uh, DePaul game, like they just looked so tired already. I don't know. I don't know. I, there's going to be a few bad losses in the next couple of weeks. I, I mean, think. there might be. There no. definitely might be. Though I think coming at the end of their first swing and like. They did look gassed at the end, but they still like managed at the very end. They like dug down and found a little more. And Martin, though, the the free throw thing is very disconcerting. And I'll be honest, I'm a little confused as to why when DePaul was definitely going to intentionally foul, they didn't. They had their best free throw shooter on the bench like that, especially when you've missed half your free throws tonight. Maybe you should have the guy shooting 80, you know, hitting 86 percent of his free throws on the floor when they're fouling you. Yeah, that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I know we talked last time. I think you and I both said, Megan, that like there's no one we want on the line at the end of the game more than Gaffney. Although it also feels like, I don't know if we want to transition to point guard play here, but like 
you could i feel like you can see gaffney like it's in his head now too a little bit out there and it feels like yeah, hurley might be losing a little bit of trust in him too i don't know like as we talked about last time too like i genuinely don't know what the solution is i don't know how you get him going but it is not working yeah i don't know he's just not playing point guard well which was weird because i felt like out of last year that was the thing i felt comfortable with him doing and like he just it seems very out of sorts when the ball's in his hand. It's it's strange. It's very strange. Well, I was just saying, like, I still think he's just trying to do too much out there. Honestly, I, I think that yeah. he he's trying to he's trying to be a scorer. He's trying to you know take shots that he does not need to take. I mean, like we talked about last week, and you know he was at his most effective when he was managing the game, limiting turnovers, and getting you know Christian and and Book uh, involved on the offense and. Obviously, we don't have book now, but we've got other scoring threats on the floor. And I think that until he can get back into that groove and be that game manager, I think that uh, I think the other stuff will follow once he kind of gets back to basics and, and just tries to play his game again. You know, it's funny because it's like, I, I think that's right. But like, there was also like, it was easy for him to to run the offense when he had two guys who could get their own shots in Book and Vital, And especially with Book out, like there's no one who can get their own shot. And it's like, he can't, like he's not aggressive enough now. Like he doesn't have that skill set. He can't penetrate. He can't really get his Whoa. own shot. He's missing open shots. Like the one thing he's kind of great at is getting to the line, but he's shooting like, I don't know. Somebody have the stats open? Like, what's he shooting on two pointers? It was like twenty-seven percent before the uh, last three sixty-four on twos. Um, Sorry, it's coming up. On threes. But eighty-two percent like... on free throws. So just penetrate and try to finish at the rim and get fouled, and or you know draw and dump. Like that should that's I think is how he needs to restructure his game. Russ, what I said, penetrate. I thought draw and dump <laughs> was what he was laughing at. And then he said dump. <laughs> Which one did you go with? Right, both. Oh, okay. So here's the Sorry. question then: How much, like, do you just run him out there, or do you just kind of lean heavier on Cole and hope Cole gets there? You know what I mean? I mean, I think I would keep trying both until one of them starts giving me something consistent. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have a lot of times, especially with Bookout, you're going to have both of them out there, and yeah. that might work. Uh, because then neither of them is fully responsible for running the offense. But I don't know. I, I We've seen it with Gaffney. I mean, there was that one game he had earlier in the year where he scored like 15 points on 10 shots, and he got eight free throws. Hartford. Obviously, Hartford is dog shit, but like where did that aggressiveness go? Honestly, I think he's got the yips because in the last game, like he's afraid to take shots now. He had a wide open, nobody within 10 feet of him look at the basket from three. And he like faked and panicked and passed to somebody who was less open than him. I think it was Polly. And I was like, oh, dude, like if you're not taking that completely, completely open three, then like your head's your head's all wrong. Yeah. I will say the one thing with Book out, and I, I feel like this is a little bit of a sports cliche, but like it does give these other guys time to sort of like just figure shit out, right? Like they're going to have to lean on Martin and Polly so much to score that like hopefully by the time Book comes back, maybe they can be that 12 point a game guy 
that they need, you know, next to book every game instead of just yeah. alternating hot and cold. Same with, you know, like there's a lot of pressure with like Whaley and Sonoga to, to perform and stay on the court. Like there's so little room for error now that, I, you know, part of me feels like, well, they're going to have to figure this out. Um, so maybe it'll work out in the long run, but I, I, we are in for some truly horrific looking basketball, I think for the next couple of weeks. Well, it was weird too, like with Martin, you know, he, he did sort of win the game at the end, but like for most of the game against DePaul, he looked terrible. Like couldn't get a layup in, was missing, couldn't get a rebound. Like, I don't know what the hell was going on with him. And, yeah. but then at the, you know, at the end he managed to, you know, get it together and also missing his free throws. Mm-hmm. Everybody's missing their free throws. It's, it's very obvious that it gets into his head and like Martin was great in like the first three minutes of that game and the last two minutes and like dog shit in between and you were able to tell when he would miss those free throws like you heard him say fuck on the on the broadcast and i was very offended and in my house oh me too yeah (laughs) and you saw him like dropping his shoulders rolling his eyes like it's i'm not really a big like body language guy because that's just fucking stupid um but you were able to tell and that was a little worrisome that he was affected like that so much uh, within one game. But again, you know, he kept doing his thing, kept getting to the basket, and he ended up being the reason they won that game in the last couple minutes. Russ's "I'm not a big body language guy" shirt is answering his generating a lot of questions already. <laughs> yeah, answered by his shirt. <laughs> what were you saying, Meech? I, I think the finishing is officially a concern. Um, cause we've seen this in a couple of games now where he's, he's just, he's getting to the rim. He's, he's driving through three guys and getting to the rim and he's not finishing. He's missing layups. Um, I, I think he was something like two for six before that last sequence at the end. Um, and it's, you know, that's kind of a problem because he's a valuable, he's a very valuable player in every other way, but if he's going to be taking eight shots a game and, you know, missing layups, that, that's the huge drag on the offense. And we, it's, you know, going back to what I think, Tyler, you were saying before about how without Book, they don't really have someone to get there who can create their own shot. He's kind of one of the only guys who, like, I mean, at the end of the game, he was driving the lane and getting to the rim. And he's got, he he moves so well. Like, he, I mean, he can get to the basket, but then he'll go up and it's like he forgot like how to get the ball in the who I mean some of the times will he be kind of kind of going up sort of a like at an angle like sort of obliquely from the basket and he just kind of would float the ball up and it's it's not it looks like when I shoot like it's not going anywhere near it yeah but he he was better like you know I look at his two point shooting this year is at forty four percent last year it was at fifty one percent I mean is in two years at Rhode Island he was five oh six from two so that's not great but like that indicates to me. That he, he's probably better than he's been. Like, it, you know, he shouldn't, he shouldn't, he probably won't continue to miss this many layups. I don't think he's just like the worst guy in history at layups. Martin and Cole, at least, like when they're not clicking on offense, they at least do enough elsewhere on the court that you can't really, you know, not only are they useful, but you can't really take them off the court. Cole is a significantly better defender than Gaffney or Adams. Martin is a significantly better defender than, I don't know, Polly. I don't even who the fuck is the depth after that at this point. But Yeah, without um, Jackson, it's especially tough to take Martin yeah, out. Yeah. Um, 
but he does enough to contribute that like he's a very valuable guy to have on the court even if he's having a cold shooting night which seems like it happens about i don't know 40 or 50 percent of the time and like you said peter like looking at martin martin's uh performance at rhode island i feel like is a little bit indicative of where he can get to i'm a little more concerned about cole who came from a very very bad conference and seems kind of physically overmatched so far in the big east what do you guys think about that sort of but also he's missed a lot of jump shots that wide open jump shots i mean like yeah he's little but there have been little guys who've succeeded in this league before i don't think it's you know, it's not like it's the beefiest league. I I don't think it's, you know, yeah, you'd like a bigger point guard, but I don't think he's debilitatingly small. And yeah. if if he continues to struggle, it's going to be because he keeps missing shots. And yeah, it's... He's rushing a lot of his shots up too. Like he's not steadying himself. He's taking a lot of off-balance threes. Uh, you know, like last game, there were a couple of different occasions where, you know, a, a rebound kicked out to him. And instead of sort of setting himself up, he just kind of just immediately re- went right back up with it, like at an awful, at an awful angle with like two people in space. Mm-hmm. So it just seems as though he's not, he's, he's rushing, he's forcing himself, it seems like. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's definitely missing open jumpers, but it also seems like he's just, he can't get, like, he's not getting clean shots off on the lane. He's not penetrating well. Like he's not, and it's not resulting in open looks for other people either. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm choosing to be optimistic with Cole still and thinking that it's just a matter of figuring out how to play, you know, the game that he wants to play against much better competition. Um, but it would be, uh, you know, nice if it happened soon. It'd be cool. What I will say is that, uh, you know, obviously this team's going to go as far as the defense is going to take them over the next few weeks. You know, we remember what, what he did to Zagorowski, but, you know, Charlie Moore... Charlie Moore's first team preseason All Big East from DePaul. <laughs> Technically, nine point. Well, yes, we we can comment on that later. But, uh, at any rate, Charlie Moore nine points last game, eight points in the first game. So you no, know, we are. I mean, he, uh, Cole, and the team, the defense. I mean, they're taking on so far every every tough player, every top player that they faced in the contest, and they've shut them down. So there's that. Yeah. I, yeah, I would be more worried about him if he wasn't doing so well defensively. Like, if he was so undersized that he it was going to really limit him, he wouldn't be able to shut down pretty much every guard he's faced. And, you know, again, just to harp on something I harped on last time we did this, it's been eight away. You know, I, like, I know it's mid-January, and, you know, usually at this point we have a pretty solid idea of who everyone is on this team, but it's been eight games. Um, he's not going to shoot 30% from two, you know, even if he is physically overmatched. I mean, there are physically overmatched players who shoot better than that. And, you know, he, he's a proven shooter um, at a different school where he had more of the load to take on. I'm not, if this can, you know, if this goes on and we're in February and we're still talking about this, then yeah, then, then we got issues, but I, you know, Russ laughed at load. No, I laughed because you laughed. Well, I heard it and then I looked right at I, you. I, don't laugh at you. <laughs> I was waiting to laugh at load until someone else laughed at load. Yeah, I mean, Children. like like Peter said, once the open shots start falling, I'll I'll feel better. Yeah, yeah. He had thirty nine percent of six and a half three point attempts 
per game last year. On what were probably not very open looks. Yeah, so I'm saying, like, right. if you're taking six and a half three three point attempts a game, and it was nine point two the year before that, some of them are not going to be the most open three pointers. Right. There, so there's going there's going to be a game in the next couple weeks, probably, if everything I know about statistical <laughs> normalization uh, is true. There's going to be a game in the next couple of weeks where he goes eight for ten, and he hits some tough shots, and he gets in a rhythm, and then you know he he just he goes from there and he's a really really good point guard for this league i'm i'm pretty confident about that yeah i mean my my position on cole coming into the year was i was my main concern was that it was just going to take him a while to figure it out and i i guess i still share that concern but yeah it's (coughs) because this season's so fucking weird and we take like weeks off between games (laughs) randomly like it, it is hard to put performance in context of time what is time i don't know Time has no meaning. No. The women the first played like once since Christmas. <laughs> I'm so annoyed with the fact that we do not get a women's game today. I was very excited for Page Buckets, but apparently Providence has the Rona and like because Fucking we were Providence. in the same room with them before they had the Rona, I don't really know. It's unclear. Sounds like they're dodging Page to me. It really just sounds to me like everything is Providence's fault. I mean, honestly, why is UConn even playing non-conference games against Providence in the middle of January right. anyways? Exactly. They, they don't need to play back. <laughs> Regional opponent, you know. Um, just, I thought I we agreed on basketball. NEC. <laughs> <laughs> the Mac would be fine. Right. I didn't mean <laughs> really stupid. Bring me buckets. It's the Mac. The they do call Providence Fairfield the Pearl of New England. I thought no AAC teams were going to schedule UConn again, but Providence is still on schedule. I don't know what to tell you. Um, let's talk the front court a little bit. What do you guys make of sort of the the trio of Whaley, Carlton, and Sonogo, and then um, with the Cook jumping back into the mix now? Finally, what do you guys? Uh, how are you feeling about the front court, Russ? It's a lot, and I and I mean that in, in a good way. I like that Sonogo has been starting. I think he has provided some pretty good minutes, especially defensively, and he's not a liability on the other end, uh, which for a freshman um, is not something we're used to seeing. Uh, Carlton seems like kind of guy where the first four or five minutes he's in every game, like we're yelling to get him the hell out of there, and then he makes two or three nice plays in a row, and it's fine. Uh, Whaley's been Whaley. I mean, I think the um, the guys who have been – been there all year have met or exceeded expectations and now a cook adding him to the mix uh he, i know it's only been two games but I, i've liked what i've seen in really limited time and you know it's, it's only going to increase from there it, it, it's very rare that we actually get to say that the front court is not the main concern um but i, I think that's the case right now yeah this is the best i felt about our front court in several years yeah Megan, what do you think uh, a cook can contribute in the next couple weeks with book out? I mean, I'll be honest. I'm a little concerned about his ability to play minutes because I felt like at the end of the last game when everyone was like dead tired and couldn't do anything and a cook wasn't getting any minutes, I was like, oh, is he just not ready yet? Because the few minutes he was on the court, I felt like he was bringing something, you know, he came in, he got a block, there was some energy and I felt like he might've been useful when everyone else looked like they were playing and pudding. So 
I don't know. It just I, that part of it is concerning to me. Like how how really back is he? And well, I just I, I wonder know. if he was on a minutes restriction the first. I'm sure of he was, but that's I guess that's my concern. Is like if his minutes restriction is five minutes, like not that much, you know. But right. minutes, like, but maybe it's 15 minutes in the next game, so I don't know. Right, but I mean, how many minutes did he play against Butler? Or I'll, I'll look. He, he played. Oh, six never mind. Against he played six, three against the Paul, and then three against the Paul. I thought he got more time against the Paul. Like not that encouraging. So that's really my concern. Is like if his minutes are that restricted right now, I don't know that he's going to be able to play enough minutes in the next two weeks. But like, I don't know. That's the thing. Maybe he will. I hundred percent agree with you too, Megan. Like I was so mad during the game. They were so like devoid of energy and just directionless it's like just put in the guy who's instant energy just like get yeah. two or three minutes of him to like pump your fucking team up so yeah like, like let him smash a ball like a block into the stands and maybe people will be able to get a little yeah. adrenaline flowing but oof yeah. i i questioned that and and like you know maybe it really was just he had was already at his minutes limit but yeah i'm just if you can only play six minutes a game that's not great yeah, and I feel like I haven't even seen enough to really gauge like where he's at basketball wise yet, I feel like. But we just know from everything we know about him, like his his teammates love him. He's like a fucking tornado on the court. Like there's there's that's that's useful, uh especially yeah. for a team that's going to probably have a little bit of an identity crisis for a few weeks, but I don't So know. What about Andre Jackson? His injury wasn't supposed to be season ending, if I remember correctly. Like, where do we think he is in his recovery? How long has he been out now? He got three hurt. years and fourteen months. I don't know. Got hurt he after the fourth flat Meech. Meech knows. Meech has figured it out. He got hurt after the fourth game. So after he played in against Creighton, so he's been out since Creighton, December twentieth. So it was supposed to be six yeah, I think to eight. He could be back in three or four weeks, potentially. Right. So he could be coming back about the same time Book does, in theory. I mean, that injury sucks because there's such a huge opening for him right now if he was healthy. Yeah. You feel bad for the kid. He also, I think, clearly needs he needs to see the court to get better. Well, and I think it, you know... You look how tired they were from from how aggressively they have to defend, and yeah. like he's the guy that we were so excited to see him in this kind of defense. So I yeah, I hope he can come back. And I don't know, I don't know what you can really do while you're out with a broken wrist. It's not like you can like do you know running around drills, but he can run. Does he run on his? No, hand? not really, not really. You don't want to be like running around, bouncing around if you've got little tiny bones you're trying to get to grow back together. I know this because I broke my wrist playing sport and I wasn't allowed to do anything until he wasn't even allowed to jog until it was clear. Mr. Fucking athlete over here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's that's why I can't jog either. Yeah. 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 Yeah, But they have to like put pins and shit in your wrist. I don't know if we had like Andre needed pins and shit. So I think we're in a position where it's going to be tough to to sustain this for very long. I, it's like that part of the pro. You remember the movie The Program, and Joe Kane has to go to rehab, and it's like, all right, we've got four weeks. Do I have to say it? Yeah, <laughs> we've got four. We've got four games. Can if we can get a split, we're all right. So the defense has to be really good. 
But then Latimer got busted for steroids and he got suspended. So it was like, ugh. No. Now what? I never saw this movie. So the important thing is Isaiah Whaley, don't do steroids. Don't do steroids. Even if Josh Carlton tells you to. (laughs) Well. Right? Don't, don't get, get caught doing steroids. Thank you, Russ. That's, took the words out of my do mouth. Do not do anabolic steroids like Latimer did in the program. That's a bad idea. I guarantee also, you don't Isaiah Whale has never seen the, the program. <laughs> I think that's true. Also, like I feel like given everyone is drinking hot sauce, maybe we should explicitly say that the players should not drink hot sauce. Yeah, do not the make the players drink hot sauce. Right. I've, got, also, I've got a question for the group. Sorry. Wait, I, have, I have a little... Uh, we have to let Gino off the hook because, oh, yeah. you know, his his innards have been through a lot and we must protect the insides of Gino Ariama. So no one will... important should do this. I mean, Dan, know, Hurley's Dan, Dan Hurley's not going to drink hot sauce. He's going to drink spiced potion. The question I wanted to ask is. Can you name a movie that you think Isaiah Whaley has seen, but none of us in the Slack have? Belly. I've seen Belly. Are you? You've never seen <laughs> Belly. <laughs> I don't believe you. You've never seen Belly. I've seen part of it. Oh, Belly's good. Not like well, not I necess- wouldn't really know. I mean, it's not necessarily good in like a movie good, but it's just like hip hop culture classic. You I should, should, you should watch Belly. If you like rap music, you would like Belly. I do. I just, I haven't, you know, I haven't gotten around to that one. All right, I'll trade you Belly for a movie of your choice. I'll watch uh, Escape from New York if you watch Belly. <laughs> Absolutely, that is... All right. Let's talk uh, lineups a little bit, because obviously with Book Out, you have Martin and Polly sort of in the middle of the lineup. I guess it's going to depend and there's really like they're going to have to do both but like which what do you think is sort of the best lineup is it martin you know cole martin polly whaley sonogo or would you rather have the two ball handlers on the floor and put either adams or gaffney out there megan i feel like this i think is i a would question generally rather have at least two of cole adams and gaffney out there at any given time yeah martin i mean can I... Play guard but like you know, Scott Burrell could play guard. <laughs> or Denim Brown could play guard. I think it's going to depend on the game. Because, like, against St. John's on Monday, I agree, you're going to want two guards out there because they'll pressure the hell out of you and speed you up. I don't know if that's as necessary against, say, maybe a Creighton. Or I mean, I guess it depends on what you're trying to or do. Xavier. Like, I will say... Uh, when DePaul started running uh, pick and rolls when Isaiah Whaley was playing center, I was like loving my life because he like have you not scouted this team at all. Like, played them two like, weeks ago and Whaley forced yeah. a couple turnovers. Whaley getting steals, jumping out on the high screen is the funniest thing in the world. Play. It's the greatest. I love, it. I love it so much. That that one possession when Whaley had the almost steal and then the actual steal. Against DePaul was that might have been my favorite possession of defense he's got ever. Great hands, like his arms are like no nine ever. feet long, and he's got great he hands. Very, he's a peculiar body. Yeah, <laughs> he does. <laughs> he's got fast. like no gadget arms. He's deceivingly quick. Wildly long. Yeah, yeah. and he has great, and like, great footwork. Like, they're further from him than they should be. Like his, he has the shoulders of a much wider man. 
Like <laughs> he has like Danielle shoulders. Yeah, yeah, kind of does. But it who just, was it, it that had the breakaway dunk in the DePaul game? It was Polly the game before. Carlton. Carlton had one. Yeah, it was. Oh, it, was, it was Carlton. Carlton. Yeah, that's right. But were we going to talk about the best fast break ever? Josh Carlton took a basketball off the face and it created a fast yeah. break. <laughs> the announcers called it. Now that's UConn basketball. And then, like, and put I put that in the montage, uh, the pregame hype montage next year. Absolutely. Polly shooting threes in transition is like my new favorite play. Oh, yeah, we really we haven't talked about Polly much. He probably should. He is the Big East player of the week. Yeah. yeah. That's what my it's notes are. That, that means something in this league. That's I right. take back every not wonderful thing I've ever said about Tyler Polly. He's the Polly defender has logged on. Last three games, he's averaging 18 points on 55% shooting, 57 from two, 54 from three. I feel like that's probably not sustainable. What? But I, I, I mean, honestly. <laughs> Uh, if he can he can shoot fifty percent for a season from three. I'm convinced. Like his shot is so pure, oh, and he's getting good looks. Like yeah. there he, were like two bad shots he took against DePaul, but of the I mean going four seven, of eight every game that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely, I think he can. Also, like fuck it, he's allowed that's to take some bad him. shots. He's made some bad shots, right? He's yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, he's allowed he's, to take a few. He's, I mean, like, I'm, getting I'm his own shot willing now. to let him put up any three he wants if he's on the floor he has license to to take shots the other, he's uh, shooting off the dribble now yeah never, that's gonna say he's getting his I, own yeah. shot which i never thought i would see that's never happened the play against marquette when he faked the three and then drove baseline for the layup is not something i ever thought i would see from Tyler <laughs> he did it once in that uh was it in the memphis game right and then he exploded and immediately then <laughs> <laughs> but like that that entire play for all two seconds that it took, I was expecting something to go wrong. I was expecting him to somehow dribble it off of Josh Carlton's face. <laughs> I also say, like, he's never going to be a great defender or a great rebounder, but he's doing both right. better. Like, yeah, simultaneously oh, with him, right. like, completely ru- like running shit on offense. Like, he's... There was a play where, uh, like, I couldn't quite see what was happening on, like, the weak side. Uh, and I kind of thought it was Martin, like, quickly, like, oh, that was a really good defensive possession. Then realized it was like, oh, Martin got blown past, and it was Polly who had to help and, like, stopped the open layup and then got the defensive. Re- like, he's doing little things that he was completely incapable of the last couple of years that are really, like, again, like, it probably brings him from, like, a D minus to, like, a C minus defensive player. But if he's going to be an A, A-minus offensive player, like, that's fucking huge. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the numbers bear it out. I mean, his, his defensive rating is down to 97.5. He had never been under 100 before. And by defensive box plus minus, he has produced as much value as he produced all of last season. I believe And that. more than he had for his career coming in because his freshman year, he was a negative 0.8. What's his O rating now? O rating of 139.5. It's actually not that much higher than last year. It's really, really high, but he also was really good on offense last year. But now he's... Well, remember how we, like, joked about how wouldn't it be, you know, if Polly could be as good as he was in that last game of the season, then we'll be great. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out that is actually what happened. Oh, shit, that happened, yeah. Yeah, like, I... More things to his game (laughs) in the meantime, somehow. I mean, this this is what development looks like. He's a fourth-year guy 
and no, right. no, no, no. This is not what it usually looks like. It usually looks like it's guys more linear. Their sophomore year, and then they get a little bit better after that if they stick around. This is a guy who sucked ass as a freshman, and then was still very bad as a sophomore, and then got like kind of good as a junior, and now is awesome as a senior. That's very rare. For we a call it the Whaley. Significantly every year. It's only happened twice in the last two years. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, with, with Polly, the shooting has always been there. Like, he's always been that level of shooter. Um, as a fourth-year guy, and we have new coaches, and he's worked with a real coaching staff the last couple of years, and Tom Moore, I mean, who, who's to say that uh, these guys aren't actually making an impact with a player who's, you know, who's an athlete, if, if he's not the most skilled player in the world, he's athletic and he can shoot and he can give you effort. And I, I, I don't see any reason why this isn't sustainable. Turns out he's Kevin Durant. Who knew? I just think it's funny that this in like some sort of weird perverted way sort of like, like proves that Ali actually was a good recruiter. He just couldn't develop the players but yeah remember when he brought this class and you're like who the fuck are these guys why are they all the same person it turns out there actually was talent there he just didn't know what the hell to do with it shout ko drink some fucking hot sauce <laughs> like he was the only thing keeping us from probably losing at least two of the last three games yep. oh yeah and i respect that i respect you tyler polly shout tyler polly i will say pod. like yeah, man, come on, fucking pod, Tyler Polly. Um, so right whatever. now, Cole, Martin, Polly, and Whaley are all averaging between nine point one and ten point six points a game. That's good. I heard that's, that's, that's four fifty or optimal lineup to go back to that discussion. And then it's just a matter of matchups. Do you want Sonogo out there or Carlton versus Gaffney. Adams Gaffney? I mean, they're going to foul so much. You're going to need them both, but. Right. And honestly, with with Adams, he's he's kind of like a defensive buffer for Polly also because he can kind of like because he's like a big enough guard that he can kind of like pick up whoever needs to be picked up. Yeah, he's definitely that like with Book and Jackson out. Adams yeah. is going to have to be that one that they kind of play with to get a little bit more size at like the two three. Yeah, he's like your utility defender. And he's been okay. And Hurley seems to like Polly coming off the bench as well. So and don't get Polly me started. Me. Off the bench. But like Polly, I feel like kind of like loves the role. And if that's like working for his mojo, then like don't mess with it. Well, the, the thing about Polly is that he's a guy like depending on who you bring him in for. Like, do you bring him in for a perimeter player or do you bring him in for a big and you haven't played a three or the four that like that goes a long way towards deciding how are we going to run our offense while he's in there so from that perspective i understand not starting it i just think that when you are having trouble generating offense you need to bring him in sooner than he did it took way too long in the depaul game that was especially in the second half i was like what are we doing when he didn't come out to start the second half i was like come on come on I was absolutely furious, and not just because hypothetically I had money on the spread. Hypothetically, <laughs> hypothetically, is so easy. It's so easy fucking fun. easy. Oh my god! <laughs> How do people lose just money bet at this? on every single game? You, you win just, seven eighths of the time. You just gamble and then buy Bitcoin. <laughs> I have to say, I how do you make money in America? About, I was going to say, I have to say, I feel pretty good about the fact that we've got two injuries and. 
we had a player transfer and we've still got like a rotation of like eight, nine guys right now, depending on what the cook situation is. So like, I'm really glad that we got all the depth we got and that Martin got his waiver. Weird. It's, it's almost like filling your roster with scholarships actually works in your favor and yeah. you don't have to start Dan Guest. <laughs> Shout out Gino, by the way. Shout out Dan Guest. At the end of last season, we were literally playing with seven scholarship players. Yeah, it's not what you want. Speaking of Javante Brown, right? Is that where you're going? Yeah. Are we making the same fucking segue? God, we're well, so... I was saying... We're so in sync. Uh, yeah, so obviously Javante Brown is departing, which is disappointing. All right. Surprising. Uh, I guess I thought he understood the situation, and it seems like maybe he didn't exactly. Though in his defense, I don't think he expected to get recruited over before he even got on campus. <laughs> so I suppose there was always the chance of this happening. Yeah, Sonogo arriving kind of complicated things. And then Kenya leaving. Yeah, I I mean, I don't really buy that. As I think that's the excuse he gave rather than admitting, like, oh, I thought I was going to play more than I'm playing, and I'm, I want to play more somewhere else. Um, But, like, when Hurley making a point to talk about, like, Richie Springs understanding his role and, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. embracing it and working hard <laughs> and earning his keep, I was like, I see, I see what we're doing here. Hur- Hurley's not exactly subtle. <laughs> No, no, we're not going for subtle there. No, well, Hurley very rarely has players transfer. I think he's salty about it. The Canadian yeah, he, flag went directly in the cauldron. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hurley I mean, was he standing didn't over the cauldron pouring maple syrup. <laughs> like Brown, Brown basically said like he came to UConn for Kenya and Kenya's not here and not like he tried it and was like not feeling it. Which like okay, you know. That's I don't believe that. Also, but also, if it's not working out, you get to leave. Like that's but the deal. Players should go play. I mean, he did say he might go to Indiana, and if he goes to Indiana, then we can be like, oh, okay, then you know. But I, yeah, if we, if we see him like pulling a Sam Cassell and playing at Siena, yeah, I think it's a different story. Right, but if he ends up in or Indiana, then I'll be like, okay, or Texas A and M. If he drops down to Providence, like that would just be oh, that's a very that's annoying. Yeah, yeah dropping down two levels. I was gonna make a Sid Wilson joke, but I can't remember where he went. SIU, SIU, Edwardsville, baby. That's the school that I dropped in the slack having today. COVID. Yeah, they've had COVID seven hundred times. Oh no, is that the one? Oh god, poor Sid. They played three games. Shout out, Sid. I will say, in Brown's good. defense, not only uh, whatever. If you want to like go to a different school, like you're a fucking kid, go wherever you want. Like he's not obligated to do anything. But in his incredibly limited UConn career. Like he played pretty well, like in his three minutes, like what what more could you possibly ask for in those three minutes? So he played well enough that I wanted to see more. Yeah. Right. He he looked like an interesting prospect because he had the go, go gadget arms. Right. And I wanted to see more. So that, that part is disappointing. And the motor I want from the 10th guy in the team who might, who might have, you know, become a starter in a couple of years. Yeah. So that's that's disappointing, and I, you know, like it's not going to hurt this year, but like losing devel- a, a developmental guy like that is disappointing. Yeah, but it it depends on what we do with this spot, you know. At this point, mm-hmm. I will say, as, honestly, are not. Yeah, as, right. as someone who is now incredibly concerned about point guard play, when I wasn't necessarily before, like 
I'm a little uh, not, not not necessarily happy he's gone, but like I want that spot used to get a point guard on the roster. Well, I've been keeping my eye on uh, Jalen Blake's for a while, and he's remained uncommitted. He's a point guard ranked about 100. Um, I, I think you're probably talking about like more of a veteran player. I'm not sure that there's like going to be a necessarily a transfer that we're going to be able to get who's going to be like a sure thing starter. I don't but necessarily I'd be want that. I want I want like ideally, right? I want like a grad transfer who can fill the role that we thought Gaffney was going to play coming into this year, coming off I want the Christian bench. Vital. Well, Christian Vitale, giving him. That would be cool. Uh, well, the good news is every player in the Ivy League is about to transfer. Right. <laughs> because they don't That's allow right. medical red shirts, and none of them are playing this year. That's true. So take your pick. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I mean, just getting somebody who, even if they have a low athletic ceiling, like that can just run an offense, that can just come in and be like essentially what we had from – Gaffney last year which is just a different look at point guard that can do different things that we need uh depending on the game situation like the problem and I know we talked about this in the past like when Cole is not shooting well he Gaffney and Adams are more or less interchangeable in what they can bring on the court at any moment and I just really think they need a different look at point guard what does that look look like I think it's just somebody who's... A look, a look. I mean, they don't have a great passer on the roster. I think just having a good distributor, whatever that looks like, like if it's uh, somebody who's just really efficient at getting motion on offense, or if it's somebody who's really efficient at penetrating and finding open shooters, like that's what I want. Assuming Cole's going to figure it out and be a scoring point guard at some point, like I just want more of a pure point guard on the roster that offers a different look from Cole admittedly the one year I remember the one year I don't even remember if we ended up doing fucking content with this because this is how a dime back works probably, probably not I kept like an I'm insane spreadsheet with like a hundred potentially eligible grad transfers oh, yeah. and just tracked and them throughout the year ended up with large Dave we ended yeah. up with large Dave and like Antoine Anderson but who so I'm not doing it again. So I don't know who, like, I don't have a good idea of who this player might well, be. Well, like, there's like things that keep track of that. You've got the transfer portal online. If somebody's so in it, commits transfers, yeah, find right. it. I got it bookmarked. When when New York gets nuked, you can just look at Rothstein's page and he'll break some recruiting. News. You know, what was the worst part about that? After we had Large Dave and Antoine, like, I still had the spreadsheet. So like every. I don't know, three weeks, like I'd get really mad at UConn and I'd go back and start Googling like random guys and they were all so good. <laughs> I was like, fuck. God, remember yeah, how bad our recruiting was for a couple of years there? Yeah. Just like dog shit. And it's so good now. So, so obviously okay. let's talk recruiting now, Peter. Uh, we're, uh, as I said earlier, we're recording this on Wednesday night, which means uh, at some point before this goes up, uh, Corey Floyd will have committed to UConn. <laughs> So congrats. Welcome to UConn. Congrats Corey to Floyd. UConn for that since it's inevitably happening. I, mean, I will not edit this out under any circumstance. So <laughs> <laughs> rolling the dice. Uh, Peter, tell us about Floyd. Uh, you know, he's – I think people have really fixated on the fact that, like, he's not a super highly ranked guy. He's 125 in composite, uh, but he's a four-star. But he's someone that 
we targeted very early, obviously, because he's a 2022 and he's committing on January 14th of 2021. Hurley definitely wants this guy. He's physical. He gets to the rim. He finishes. He plays defense. He's got a nice shot. Uh, I mean, I've watched a couple of his games. He I mean, he looks like a high major player to me. And if you look at his his offer list is very good. I forgot who who's offered him, but it's... Well, Villanova doesn't want him. Villanova oh, has yeah, no. no interest in him. Villanova is totally not interested. There's still people to, who are convinced they're getting him. Those people want him. But the people who know that he's not going there, they never wanted him. Just like they never wanted Dickens. Right. They wanted the guy ranked 60 spots lower because he looks like Dante DiVincenzo or whatever that fucking guy's name is. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like ordinarily, like I'd see his ranking and be like, why, is, you know, like I, you want UConn to build and get those sort of like Hawkins guys, right? Like those like 30 to 50 guys. Right. But we also know that at least, does anyone here not think that Donovan Klingon is like in the bag at this point? Oh, he's. I mean, I think bag. he's going to end up at UConn. I think he's, you know, he's taking his time, making his decision. But I think ultimately, like, they're going to offer him everything that he wants. Like, there's nothing he's not going to get that he would be looking for. And he's a UConn fan anyway. Like, not picking them would be just like. I mean, so is Hamadou Diallo. Right. But Klingon's not going to get a Kentucky offer. Right. Well, I don't know. Probably not. If Klinga gets a where, Kentucky where's he offer, ranked? Up, yeah, I mean that's ish. It's like forty-seven, I think. Yeah, if, if Kentucky's going to offer more money, then <laughs> <laughs> that's, a little... yeah, that's good. You got to think if you're like, you a, be like that? a fan, fan, you know, and they they didn't. They're not recruiting a twenty twenty one center specifically. Like, well, I don't know specifically, but they because they're recruiting him. They did not recruit. Etienne, basically, they, right. once they got Sonogo, they stopped recruiting Etienne because they were going to recruit Klingon. And because Whaley is coming back, <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe he might. Maybe he might. get an NBA. Please come back. We, we but, love you. But um, anyway, so it's nice at the very least. You you get a, one quality player already in the bag for 2022. You've got a spot open in 21. Already, maybe two spots, depending on what happens with Book Knight. Um, I, I don't think Book Knight's coming back anyway. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think he's coming back, but like, I'm not going to say he's definitely not coming back until I, you know, until he says it. Until he says he's definitely not coming back. So right now we've got one spot open. I suspect we'll eventually have two, but you know. Well, don't we have do we have two spots currently open with uh, even with Floyd committing with uh, Brown gone now, right? I'm talking about for 2021. Oh. Uh, there is currently one spot open. Yeah, 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 yeah. If Book Knight leaves, there will be two. Right. If he if Hurley's wants to replace Brown, I think Elijah Hutchins' effort would be a very interesting guy to to get in touch with because he had re- he had committed to Penn State. He was recruited there by Kevin Freeman. Chuck K. Free. And then he I know left him. When, he left when Chambers resigned under duress uh or was fired what actually i don't know you resigned so peter you you mentioned obviously um floyd and Klingon, which would hypothetically leave one more open scholarship for 2022 where do you think they'll look and where do you like what kind of what kind of player do you think uh, they should look to for that sort of last scholarship assuming that's what it looks like come that time 
Well, I know there's been a lot of interest, mutual interest with Justice Williams. Who would be uh, great? Out of Florida. He's very good. Uh, borderline five-star guy. I would love to get him. I know they're interested in uh, Jan Farrell, who's like a sort of a poly replacement kind of guy. He's, uh, you know, sort of a combo forward who can shoot. Um, those are the two guys I know they've they've shown a lot of interest in. Um, there's always Zion Cruz. <laughs> that Who would I like. be fun, but I don't. I don't think that that's really. Uh, you know, I don't think that's realistic. But he he came to a game. If I were Hurley, I'd I would be in contact with him. I mean, if you get Williams, fine, that's great. He's great. I would be thrilled with Williams. But I would, you know, be in touch with Cruz as well. Yeah, I mean, kind of where I was going with the Klingon comment up top, where like I don't really. Like, go nuts early. If you want the guy who's ranked, like, 100, 110, whatever, like, get the guy you want. But, like, having that sort of safety net of, of clinging there, I think, gives him a little more room to to reach. Like, if he wants to go for a five-star, like, a guy like Zion or a guy like Williams, I think, kind of fits that category. Like, a high-end scoring talent that can come in and, like, be a difference maker as a freshman. Like... It's like Cam Thomas would have been if we got hundred percent, but like yeah. it's it's nice that getting uh, Floyd like done quick kind of gives him that freedom. Um, oh, absolutely! If they get Williams, that would be fantastic. If they get uh, Zion Cruz, I don't think they will. I just to be clear. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that one's you know necessarily in the cards. But Williams, that could happen. Uh, if, even if they just get Klingon and then like a couple of, you know, and they and then Farrell, like I'm fine with that. That's not a great class, but that's a top 20 class. You know, yeah. If you keep doing that top 20, top 10, it, you know, every year, you're going to have a really talented roster. Yeah, and those guys would play with Hawkins, Diggins, and Jackson, and probably right. a Cook, um, and maybe Sonogo. Like, that's a really good fucking team. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk to me about Hawkins, because I feel like, um, you know, he committed and we got a little excited. And then, you know, we haven't talked about him much in the last couple months. But uh, what made me think about this is I saw some highlights of his. And, man, does he look really good right now. Yeah, I think he's going to be – I know that Diggins is ranked higher than him. I think Hawkins is going to be the best player out of that class for us. Johnson's got a very high ceiling, but realistically, Hawkins has – all of the pieces to be a contributor right away. He's he's a high level athlete. He's a very good defender. He's a very good shooter. Yeah. And this year he's going to be the guy for a top program. I think you're going to you're going to see his ranking go up significantly and I think he's going to come in and he's going to be a player right away. You know, I mean I think Diggins will be good as, you know, be a, a quality player as a freshman. But I think Hawkins will be a difference maker. He'll be a guy where when he's not on the court, we are getting annoyed. I feel like long-term Diggins is going to be like a favorite player. Like his whole vibe is just seems like he's going to be one of those kids that we like really enjoy having on the team. Yeah, I think he's, you know, he's not very big. I think he's probably a four-year player. He's a great poster. But he's like the kind of four-year player who's going to be like a really good one. Shabazz. I'm very excited about this class. I mean, you've, you know, high ceiling guys, 
a lot of potential for like if these guys stick around for a few years they're going to win a lot of games so i'm i'm very excited about the 2021 class and if we add a Jalen blakes to that class or an elijah hushins effort then that'll be like one of our all-time classes in my opinion do you want to talk about how like nine months ago on this podcast i said blake's coming to uconn was inevitable and i meant that in a bad way and now it might end up being true in a good way <laughs> well yeah if he comes as the fourth best player in the class that's awesome you get four top 100 guys especially you bring in another shooter you know a, another guy who's going to be a four-year player who can play on and off the ball and you know he's i can ju- i can tell you what his career is going to look like in college he's going to be a guy who everybody who plays against that the team he's on is going to hate his guts and he's going to come in and he's going to hit shots. Yeah. Ironically, I meant it kind of in the context of Floyd where I was mad that they were focused so much on the, on the like one fifty ish strength guys and not aiming higher. <laughs> and then they ended up pulling in a great recruiting class and might get them anyways, 12 months later or whatever. Early so. has earned that benefit of the doubt. hundred percent. French hundred guys. So anyways, congrats to UConn for landing Corey Floyd Jr. Great recruiting Woo. coup that we can break on Wednesday night. Remember a dime back broke. We broke it. Floyd. No matter when you heard this, we broke it on yeah. Wednesday night. It's 10.38 p.m. Um, yeah, what's a, what's a live sporting event that we can... I'm currently re-watching The Bachelor, which aired on Monday, <laughs> so you know it's in the past. Like I've just... got Boise State, Wyoming on. Oh, Texas Tech versus Texas is currently 45 to 51. Texas is good as hell this year. They are. It's because Shaka has guess... hair. Shaka with <laughs> hair. Reverse, reverse Samson. It's amazing. Somber note, but last thing on my list to talk about is uh, Devereaux, former UConn coach, uh, long-term uh, or long-time ambassador of the program, passed away this week. Uh, does anyone have any Devereaux memories or, or reflections? My parents met him. Um, I forget at what, like, they they were friends with a guy who was, like, one of the, you know, had, like, great seats and stuff, and they used to, like, visit Saul. Saul, yeah. And, like, Saul was sometimes taking the games because Saul had great tickets, and they would visit When you were team, talking like, earlier about going to games as kids, I remember the time that I sat in Saul's seats. It was like, yeah. Yeah, they were dope. And they would sometimes go see like Dean in his office in Gamble. And like he, my dad was like, everything you heard about him, just this like super nice guy who just like loved to tell stories and like tell jokes and just like really kind person. He's like, that's just who he was to everybody. Like even when you were a nobody. Like I, I feel like the best testament to D Rowe has been uh, in the tributes after he passed. Like it was really, I think, hitting home. Mm. the the scope of his influence from everyone from Tyrese Martin who's been on campus for like a month and a half to you know men's and women's players going back for you know as long as I followed into the early 90s like all have very similar experiences with him um as just as you said like the most immense supporter of UConn sports um especially uh men's and women's basketball and you know that's a that's a pretty cool legacy to lead. He obviously had a really long and full life. Yeah, it's about as good as you can ask for. So, D. Rowe was on the search committee for both Calhoun and Gino, and like took him on this like long walk through campus, and both of them like sold him on UConn, and also personally himself 
raised seven and a half million dollars to get Gamble built. So we got to shout, we got to shout D for, you know, building the foundation upon which UConn athletics was built. Number one, UConn super fan all time, all time, all time. Yeah. If, if we end up talking women's basketball, you won't have to edit anything out because they're not going to play for another three months. (laughs) I had one note on women's basketball and it was that I like that page back down the smaller opponent. That's my full list of women's basketball commentary. <laughs> Honestly, Paige should be humiliating people more. She's, I, you know, we've talked about this already. It's really astonishing to me how quickly she's become an elite player. She's so good. And you can still see, like, she's going to get even better. She's going to be really, really fucking good. Like, the thing that I feel like, from especially for somebody who plays the way she does, where, like, she's she's trying to make these, like, very fine passes that have like a very small window to get exactly right and usually when you go they come from high school to college like the the tempo is so much faster in college than it was in high school that like usually some of those just go awry because you haven't adjusted yet and she did not have any adjustment period to the new tempo at all like at all it's gonna be fun to watch and i hope that we get to watch her again soon (laughs) it will be theoretically fun to watch Paige Bucker. Paige Beckers play basketball again. <laughs> yeah, theoretically. In 2023. The three more games they have this season will be riveting. Like, it sucks so hard that, the like, we already lost Baylor because fucking Kim Mulkey couldn't keep her COVID-ass home. That's such bullshit. To, going to Christmas parties. Like, what have we been telling everyone? Do not go two Christmas parties. She went to a fucking Christmas party and she got COVID and then didn't wait long enough, went back to the team. And then we all had to not miss the game. I thought Uh, she didn't go back to the team. She did for that one game. Yeah. No, she went for one day. So on day 10, after going back, she didn't wait to get her results back. Didn't wait. Didn't wait. Went back to the team, got her results the next day. And she's positive. I bet she did it on purpose. No, I, I don't <laughs> want to jump to any conclusions here. Like it's just so irresponsible on so many levels. Like, I'm so mad about it. You grow so, up. You're an asshole. If you were to ask me what women's basketball coach probably stormed the Capitol, Kimoki <laughs> is absolutely my first guess. hundred <laughs> percent. She's doing her post-game press conferences from Nancy Pelosi's podium. <laughs> but, yeah, so we lost Baylor. We lost Louisville. And We're going to lose Tennessee. That game's not happening. And then there's hey. still South Carolina. I just, I, give me one, one good game, please. One. You guys, what what does Kim Mulkey say when she's mad that her team keeps turning the ball over? What? What does she say, Russ? Stop the steal. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I want them to play because, like, we're watching them get to turn back into, like, that winning machine that they were. For a few years there like i've seen like that's the kind of talent that's coming through the program right now and like i want it to happen i want the games to happen i want to win those games yeah. by 65 points each i enjoyed that we did start the last game with edwards and ona we got a little of the old school uh twin, twin towers. towers yeah it's uh it's been very delightful um even though it wasn't actually together for too too long but I got I to gotta get a big kick out of that. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Dime Bad Podcast. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Kim Mulkey with a Q. <laughs> <laughs>